I want you to start off this morning thinking about uh, why you come. I think that you are probably here this morning because there's something in you that recognizes that you really need God in some way, whether you are a Christian or not. That in a relationship with God, in the presence of God, it, He gives us meaning in our lives. He can give us lasting joy and fulfillment. That He gives us comfort and strength during times of trouble. That we are made to connect with our Creator. And my question for you, considering all these things, is I wonder when was the last time that you really felt close to God? And I want you to be thinking about this. Is not a guilty question. I just want you to be really pondering in your mind. Thinking back, rewinding your memory tapes, when was the last time you felt really close to God? It may have been when you were listening to a particularly moving song of worship that just stirred your soul. Or perhaps hearing the personal testimony, a story of uh, someone's brokenness and then experiencing redemption from the God of second chances. For some of you, it might have been at some intense church retreat experience where you really met with the Lord, or when Jesus blessed you beyond what you asked for or, your, or what you can imagine, when you experience His mercy, forgiving you and rescuing you from the shackles of sin, or perhaps His tender presence and comfort in the midst of suffering. These are all good ways that we can experience God, but I also wonder how long did that sense of closeness with God last. And I want to propose to you this morning, instead of us experiencing God in just a one-time, powerful, miraculous experience or occurrence, that today we want to discover in His Word the way we connect with Him, the way He connects with us to regularly replenish and renew and revive our souls. And so if you have a Bible, I want you to turn in it to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. We are in series called Restore, how we experience restoration by returning to God to rebuild what is broken in our lives, and that when God does that kind of work in our lives, through our lives, that He doesn't simply replace the broken things with more of the same faulty broken things, but just like the walls, the new wall in the city of Jerusalem, when God builds something, He builds something new, something better, and that is a picture of the gospel. When Jesus comes into our lives and gives us new life, He doesn't simply replace our broken, sinful lives with the same thing, but He gives us something new, something better. And so in chapters 1 3, we saw that God gave Nehemiah a conviction for a suffering city in need of a Savior. And with prayer and planning and preparation, he cast this great vision for the people of God to rebuild both the physical and spiritual walls of their families and communities together. In chapters 4 through 7, they face threats, and they, they do so prayerfully and practically, and they finally finish this wall to create a refuge, that the purpose isn't just to keep people out or to have a comfortable home, but they're creating a refuge, welcoming people to worship God. Because it's not just about the wall. It's about worship to the glory of God and the good of people. And this morning, I want to invite you into the story to experience what the people of God experienced back then. And so I want to invite you to do something we don't tend, normally tend to do, but I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Would you stand with me? Nehemiah chapter 8. 
And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard. On the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And Padiah, Mishael, Melchizedek, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In verses 1 and 2, all 50,000 of the Jewish people in Jerusalem gathered together as one because it says this was the first day of the seventh month. What you need to know, historically, that is the, the Jewish New Year. So they're gathering together for a big New Year celebration. It's a time for celebration and reflection when they turn their attention to the faithful God who blessed them and brought them this far because the goal was never simply about rebuilding the walls of a city or a church. Just like for us, it's never simply about delivering groceries to our neighbors or after school tutoring program or making a beautiful building or making beautiful music on Sunday. That the end of a God-inspired vision is God. For people to draw near to God, to experience God, to worship God. That is why God gives vision to his people and work for his people to do. And so they asked Pastor Ezra, he's this scribe in the previous book of the Bible, actually they were all one book of the Bible uh, many years ago, but this scribe who led this second wave of exiles back to Jerusalem 14 years before Nehemiah, they asked him to come up front, and he whips out his Bible. Now, this would be the Old Testament version of the Bible, probably just the Pentateuch, which means the first penta as in five, the first five books of the Bible recorded by Moses. And instead of doing this reading confined in the temple where only Jewish men could hear it, they gathered in the town square by the gate of the water gate so that they could invite all the men, all the women, all the children who are old enough to understand, which is one of the reasons why we include middle schoolers and up to come who are growing in, and maturing in their faith to come and hear the word of God. And it says that, in verse 3, they're seeking direction for God during this new year. They ask Ezra to read from the Bible, and he does. From how long? From sunrise to about noon. He preached a five- or six-hour sermon. <laughs> I know some of you feel like that's what happens every Sunday here. Hmm. And, but he all the men, the women, the children who are mature enough to understand, and it says in verse 3 that they were all attentive. Now, some of us, we get distracted, we get sleepy, we are thinking about our lunch if the sermon is more than 30 minutes on a given Sunday. And so in verse 4, like our church, 
they built up an elevated stage, a pulpit, not to elevate Pastor Ezra, but to elevate the Word of God. Not because the pastor is the highest authority, but because this is the highest authority where we hear from God. And so as he preaches, verse, verse 5, he's not just reading his thoughts from a self-help book or a collection of personal opinions or just telling funny stories up front. He opens the Bible, it says, in front of them, above them on the stage, as a symbol of being in authority over them. And as he reads, all the people stood in reverence for the Word of God. What is the big deal? Why would they do that? Because if you want to hear from the God of heaven and earth, this is the inspired and inerrant Word of God speaking to us. That as we come in reverence and repentance, that He speaks to us, He reveals Himself, He guides us, He uh, comforts those who are afflicted, and He afflicts those who are comfortable. As famously known as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon once said, you've lost a child. Wasn't there a word of the Lord to encourage you? You lost property. Wasn't there a passage to meet that disaster? You've been slandered. Wasn't there a word to console you? You've been very sick and depressed. Wasn't there scripture that comforted you? You're never too high in your circumstances that the word of the Lord is not up there with you in conviction and in direction, and never so low that the scriptures are not down there with you, guiding you, comforting you, giving you strength. And so verse 6, as Ezra concludes his sermon, he blesses the Lord. I want you to imagine this. It means he's saying things like, God is great and awesome. His ways are good, and we need to follow him. And then it says that all the men and all the women, all the children respond with shouts of Come on. 50,000 people all shouting out together. Amen. And when they do, for some of us maybe who aren't very church, didn't grow up in this, this kind of environment, all that means, amen just means so be it. I agree that there's this picture of as God speaks, it echoes in my soul. So I respond, I declare my agreement with God as he speaks to me. And so I want you to see in this church, and they're not just these emotional sticks in the mud. They respond in passion, in prayer, in a posture of lifting their hands and bowing their heads and their hearts down in the dust before him. with A deep sense of reverence because God has spoken. If you want to hear God, if you want to draw close to God, then spiritual revival comes to us when we seek and worship God together through His Word. So I ask you, beginning, do you feel close to God this morning? Or when was the last time that you did? And how long did it last? Well, if you want to hear from God, if you want to experience God, if you want to be passionate about God, if you want to hear from Him regularly, the question starts with, how much am I in His Word? As many of you have heard many times, the Bible is the most widely owned but least known book in America. And in Nehemiah and in every major movement in, his, in the history of the church, that the hallmark of intensity and an intimacy and revival in his church with God is a high engagement and commitment to the Word of God. Now, you see that 
but the big idea on the big screen. But it sounds like revival comes through us seeking God together in the Word of God. And so I want you to see also in this passage, eight times this part of the, the passage, all people together. Verse 1, all the people. Two times in verse 2 and 3, all the men, women, and children of understanding. All the ears were attentive. Verse 3 again. Three times in verse 5, read in the sight of all the people. All the people. All the people stood. In verse 6, all the people answered with amen in response to the word. And so you see this deep sense of eagerness and unity to seek God in his word and worship together. Now, for many of us who grew up in a more Western Christianity, American Christianity, well, can I just get as much out of the Bible on my own? Why do I need to hear from the Word of God and in, in, in worship uh, with others? Let's look at verse 7. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Paliah, the Levites, those are the priests, uh, these shepherds, helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So I want you to imagine attending a church of about 50,000 people, and they're all standing for a worship service for six hours under the heat of the noon Palestinian sun, the desert sun, and should be how are and distracted and tired. Standing there for six hours for church, my legs are exhausted. I'm sweating like a pig. What's, was that my stomach? What was that sound? When, what are, what are we going to have for lunch? How would they get anything out of church that day? Verse 7, we're introduced to this long list of names. We've seen this many times in Nehemiah. But this list of names is a group of pastor priests. And their role is they spread throughout this gigantic crowd of people, breaking them up into smaller congregations, into small groups to, it says in verse 7, help the people understand. How do they do that? Like pastors, verse 8, it says that they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. In other words, they were the ones who go out to the congregation, they explain the context of the passage. Oh, you don't know what the Jewish New Year is? The first day of the seventh month is the Jewish New Year. They give the meaning. They tell people how to live it out in their lives. You see, we gather with others because spiritual revival comes as we dig deeply into accurately understanding the Word of God together. We don't just do liturgy where you uh, read scriptures with nothing else. That's why we have servants to provide interpretation and application. Personally, it's good if you're doing a Bible reading plan in a year or you do personal devotions, that's important and it's necessary. But there won't be any transformation of your heart, your mind, your soul if you don't dig deeply and discern accurately. And so that's why we encourage people to participate regularly in Sunday worship. That's why we invite every person to join a growth group, a smaller group where you can study the Bible together to discuss and discover God's intended meaning in a passage and to practice it, uh, hold each other accountable to practicing it and applying it to your daily lives. You see, there's a great danger in simply going it alone. Many of you have heard me tell this story before, but 
Pineda. He was the heir to the Spanish crown, but due to all these political machinations and people fearing that he would try to uh, usurp the throne, he was sentenced to a life of solitary confinement in the dread prison known as the Place of the Skull in Madrid. And is notoriously known as the place that once you go in, you will never come out alive again. There was no possibility of parole. He was given one book to read the entire time, the Bible. And he read it hundreds of times. It became his constant companion. Now, after 33 years, he died. And when the prison staff came in to clean out his cell, they found notes etched in to the soft stone walls that he had used a nail to scratch into it. His notations, Psalm 118, verse 8, in the very middle of the Bible. Ezra chapter 7, verse 21, has all the letters of the alphabet except J. Esther chapter 8, verse 9, is the longest verse in the Bible. There are no words or syllables of more than six more than uh, words or names of more than six syllables in the entire Bible. Anthropologists still marvel at this. They note the oddity that this man spent 33 years of his life studying what some would describe as the greatest book of all time, and yet he could only glean trivia. As far as people know, he never made any spiritual commitment to Jesus. He simply became an expert at Bible trivia. I suspect that there are many sitting in churches on Sundays that have the same experience reading the Word of God. That we do not hear God powerfully and personally. We just know trivia instead of knowing the God of transformation. Because the Bible is a tool intended to change our hearts and our minds and our lives so that we genuinely experience God. We live for Jesus. We become more like Jesus. But you need to dig deeply. And it needs to be done accurately with the insight and accountability of a community. So, if you want to experience spiritual revival in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, how regularly are you gathering with God's people to hear the interpretation and application of the Word of God on Sundays? Are you part of a growth group, a community that studies the Word and the wisdom and the will of God and then practices living it out together in daily life? Some of us, I don't need other people. I just need Jesus and my Bible. But I want to tell you, without the involvement and discernment of what others, the other people that God would say in 1 Corinthians 11, we need, that we're interdependent with in the body of Christ, it would be like driving around a mountain pass with a blindfold on and no guardrails, that you have no one to point out to you your, the blind spots in your opinions, conclusions, that many people follow a faulty GPS of their politics and preferences, defining your understanding of the Bible, instead of allowing the Bible to interpret your politics and preferences. No one around you to point out if you might be accidentally starting a cult. <laughs> no one to pull you back when you're drifting towards the edge of the road of misinterpretation and self-destruction. Now, we've been talking about God reviving our hearts and our spirits and our lives and how can you tell, though, when you're listening to the word that you're not just responding, are you responding to guilt 
or God speaking to you. Verse 9, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What's happening at the end of this story is that as the people are hearing from, from God, the dry dust of the ground is turning into mud from the tears and the mourning of the people with their faces bowed down before God. How many of you have been there? That you hear God speak and it wrecks you. You see, James chapter 1, verse 23 tells us that the Word of God is like looking into a mirror. It shows us ourselves. Romans 3, verse 20 tells us that what they're reading, the law of God reveals the reality of our brokenness and conviction about our sinfulness. But in verse 9, Nehemiah, the, the governor, Ezra, the pastor, and all the, the other under-shepherds, they kind of flip the script here. Yes, repentance is important, and we're going to see them practice that later in chapter 9. But this day, this day, as we gather together, as we've read through the entire Word of God, those first five books, is holy to the Lord. It's not for mourning and weeping. And so in verses 10 and 11, he says, instead of grieving, go home, eat the best food, drink the best wine, and share with those who lack, who are poor, so that every poor can worship and celebrate the Lord because the joy of the Lord is what makes you strong. Now, what I don't want you to hear, what this passage is not saying, is that as a Christian, you should never feel bad. I know some people live like this, false, uh, a false understanding of this, incorrect understanding, that Christians should just put on a happy face all the time. Have you read the Bible? There's a whole book dedicated to just lamentations. If you read through the Psalms, most of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. If you've ever read the prophecies about Jesus, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. So it's okay for even followers of God who experience His goodness, to be downhearted, to experience brokenness, especially when you and I are aware of our sin. But what this passage is that our grieving, our mourning, our repentance can't last forever because our joy, our strength is in the Lord. Now, here's the question, how so? And here's the key to this, whole, this passage, and I want you to really pay attention. We end on verse 12. It says that there was great rejoicing because the people understood the word declared to them. What word were they reading? They understood this narrative of Genesis through Deuteronomy that, they were, that was read for five or six hours is more than just conviction and condemnation. They knew that this was the story of, the holy, of a holy and good God who made and loves people, and yet the people turned away. 
and yet he did not turn away from them. He delivered them from sin, suffering, death in Egypt, to take them to a promised land, to renew a covenant relationship with them. This broken relationship, this divorce that they experienced was re-reconciled and brought back together. And this passage is saying that the people of Nehemiah's time, they understood this ancient story is also their story. That the Jewish people from their time or their previous generation also had turned their back on God again. And they suffered consequences and captivity in Babylon. And again, God did not turn from them. We see in Nehemiah the fulfillment that God rescues them from exile, returns them to Jerusalem, and restores a relationship with them. Isn't that grace? Isn't that the gospel? That there's a God in heaven no matter how many times we've run away, no matter how many times we've failed. Doesn't say try harder, but runs to us and reaches down to us and rescues us and restores us again and again. And of course, this is for us just as much as it is for the people of Nehemiah's time. It points ahead to what Jesus will ultimately do for all the people back then and all of us today, that all of us sin, all of us turn away from God, all of us fall short of the glory of God, yet He has not given up on us, that there is a rescue, a reconciliation, a restoration that He offers us through the person and work of Jesus the Son of God who died for our sins and rises as our Savior so that we can receive His life, His friendship, His family, His joy. So for people back then and for us today, spiritual revival comes as the Word of God that we read turns the conviction of grief in our sin into the celebration of grace in our Savior. It gives us tremendous joy and reason to celebrate and to worship because our joy is more than a fleeting feeling dependent on our circumstances. It's abiding in the grace of God discovered in the Word of God that, yes, reveals our sinfulness, but it also reveals God's righteousness, reaching out to rescue us, restore us, broken, rebellious people by giving us what we need instead of what we deserved. Now, I want to tell you, you're limited Morality and ability can't get you to joy, but the gospel can. It says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Who's that Lord? Jesus is that Lord. Jesus is my joy. It's not my joy having to be my health or my wealth or my job or my spouse or my kids or my ministry. When your joy is in Jesus, then it gives you the strength to be a good spouse, to be a good friend, to be a good worker, to be a good student, to be a good minister of the gospel. Because then you won't take good things and make them into God things. You won't go to people and things to make you strong and to make you happy. You'll go to Jesus, and He'll give you joy, and He will give you strength so that you can be a blessing in all these other things. There's a woman named Mary who was a uh, university student at a large university, and uh, her professor in her uh, introduction to acting class asked all the students to present something extreme in drama to the class. So as a Christian, she decided to write a hymn about Jesus based on scriptures, and that she would sing it in front of her secular classmates. Now, unfortunately for her, Another student, Alice, 
was slated to present before her. And what Alice did was she took a Bible and then she led the class out by a trash can and proceeded to slowly read portions of the Old Testament about war, about how God punishes wicked nations, about how God even sends His own people, Israel, into exile, what we're seeing the, the after effects of in the, this passage. And with each passage that she read, she would say, who would ever believe in a God like that? Then, shh, tear out a page of the Bible, burn it, drop it into a trash can. Pretty good, huh? Extreme drama. She definitely fulfilled the assignment. And you see the problem with what's happening. She's picking and choosing what she read. She's not getting the whole story. She's not getting understanding. And this was the warm-up for our little friend, Mary, who pulls out her guitar, walks up to the front of the class, whispers a brief prayer under her breath, just like Nehemiah would, and then sang a love song to Jesus declaring the big story, that it's all about Jesus. It's all about this Savior. Afterwards, the class was silent and just simply left, went home. All that is except Alice. This other young woman who had presented right before her came up to the front of the class, came forward with tears in her eyes. That was beautiful. That would be a God I'd want to know. Can you help me to get to know that God? And after a few days, just a few days of studying the Bible together with Mary, Alice gave her life to Jesus. You want to hear from God? You want to draw close to Him? It's not something you figure out on your own. He is speaking through His Word and guiding through His people. If you're willing to do that, you'll discover what Pastor Tim Keller described and that Nehemiah's people experienced, that the gospel says you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but you are also more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. So wherever you find yourself this morning, may you experience revival in your heart. May you abide in the grace of God discovered in the Word of God. And may the Lord Jesus be your joy, your hope, your strength today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. It speaks truth. It breathes life into us. That it is useful for all sorts of things, correcting, rebuking, helping us to live a life and become more like Jesus. And so we praise you. And this morning, I don't know exactly where you are speaking into our hearts and lives. And I know the answer isn't simply, I need to read the Bible more, although maybe that's part of it for some. But Lord, we need to see you. We want to know you. We want to be close to you. And we know that our strength and our joy can be found if we'll look to the Word of God, both written and the living Word of God in Jesus, that are one and the same. May your grace win our hearts and revive our lives again.